Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to episode 149 of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast, presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Hello, Adam. Howdy. Hi. Hi. That was very, that was very <laughs> loud. I just yelled <laughs> into the microphone after talking about how they didn't spike. Oops. Whatever. Oh, well. This is my favorite thing we do. Yeah, I know. Um, for our regular listeners, it is the end of the month, which means it is time for our monthly picks for next month. That's right. So in this case, we're talking September books. And I just want to point something out. I'm curious. I want people's thoughts. Send us some messages. You can find us on Twitter at ProBookNerds. You can email us at ProfessionalBookNerds at Overdrive.com. I originally wanted to spend like the first 20 minutes of this episode talking about Game of Thrones. Jill kind of made the point, like, first off, this is going to come out on Thursday, several days after, and also, and perhaps the more important point, who wants to hear us talk about Game of Thrones? I think if we did like a dedicated episode, it would be okay. I just think tacking 20 minutes on before a regular episode. I, your logic is perfect <laughs> and understandable. This was just me on Monday being like, I want to talk about all the things. But I mean, we can do that. No, if we do fine. like special, we could do like a one-off. No, because by the time it comes out, everyone's going to be like, I mean, we got, let's be serious. We got two, two years to wait for the next one. So we. That's it. We'll plan for a Game of Thrones next year. Two years, whenever. In 17 months from now, <laughs> we'll do one. So, yeah. yeah. Good um, anyway, I, like you said, we go back and forth. We don't tell each other our books ahead of time. Um, I did put some contingencies on here because I was like, what if Adam doesn't mention this one? Like, I think he might. But <laughs> I did that, too, with one that I'm like 99% certain you're going to. But, yeah. I have. I think I have a pretty good mix. This. I have... Uh, Seven, nine, twelve. I have ten. I think one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I have ten. Nice. Okay. I and I have a pretty good mix. I have four YA, two nonfiction, one absolutely absurd one, and one that's kind of cheating because it's not actually a new book. It's a first time ever digital release. That's okay. I'm I think that, that counts. Okay. All right. So you said you have ten. Yeah. So you should start. The floor is mine. Yeah. All right. Okay. A few of these are self-promotion for us. They're either previous or soon-to-be guests on our podcast, but I'm excited for their books nonetheless. So the first one is Invictus by Ryan Groudon. Uh, Ryan, she wrote the uh, Wolf by Wolf and Blood by Blood, which we talked about. I talked to her a long, 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 long time ago, so you may not have heard that. So go back and listen to it if you haven't. Uh, but this one is called Invictus. It's YA science fiction. Uh Farway Gaius McCarthy, already incredible name, was born outside of time, the son of a time traveler from 2354 AD and a gladiator living in ancient Rome. Far's very existence defies the laws of nature. All he's ever wanted to do was explore history for himself, but after failing his entrance exam into the governance program, Far will have to settle for a position on the black market captaining a time traveling crew to steal valuables from the past. You know what? I almost put that on my list, but as soon as I saw the name, I was like, no, Adam's going to do it. And I didn't even read the description, and now I'm putting it on hold. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm so, I've already put it on hold. I'm so excited I'm for like, this. I'm like, what? Also, super unrelated to the book, but Ryan has two things working for her that are incredible. She randomly changes her hair color to like intense colors, like bright greens and bright purples and all sorts of awesome stuff. And she has a wolf dog, like an actual wolf dog. So. As if she wasn't wonderful enough. But yeah, Invictus by Ryan Groudon. Should tell everyone at the beginning, don't furiously write these down. We're going to have all the books with links in the show notes. So you can access them at any point. Yes. You, you're up. All right. I have for my first one, The Girl Who Takes an Eye for an Eye by David La... I'm going to mispronounce this. Lag... 
Krantz. I should know this. He's actually like a well-known author, but it's the next in the um, Stieg Larsson, Elizabeth Salander Millennium. Okay, that is not your fault for not knowing how to say his name. I don't <laughs> no, know no, how to... no. I should have. I should have looked it up in advance. Um. Anyway, so um, Stieg Larsson, you know, he wrote *Girl with the Dragon Tattoo*, and then he died. Um, and so David took it over. This is the second book that David has written. The fifth in the series. Um, so good old Elizabeth Salander is back. I love her. Like Lizbeth is one of my role models, which sounds weird, but uh, I love her so much. And um, I was a little skeptical when his last one came out, but he actually did a really, really good job with the character and the world that um, that that Larson had created. And so I'm excited for uh, for this one. Um, and it, you know. She's dealing with mysteries, and Mikael is back, and um, she's just she's doing her thing. Mm-hmm. She's doing her thing. I was, I was gonna add it, but I didn't. Yeah. I thought you would. So, uh, my next one is another past guest, uh, "The Language of Thorns" by Lee Bardugo. Not gonna spend a lot of time on this one because we talked about Lee last month. But in August, she had a Wonder Woman book coming out. And in September, she has a book of fairy tales from the Grishaverse, which is the universe she created for all of her number one New York Times bestselling books. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but basically the language of thorns are, it's described as midnight tales and dangerous magic. Basically, Lee wrote a bunch of fairy tales in a universe that she created. Which is amazing. Which is amazing. And oh my God, speaking of Game of Thrones, if you don't follow her on Instagram, you should because even though Game of Thrones is done, she likes to watch Game of Thrones and shows like it and she does incredible Instagram story recaps of of things like that. So this is just like my monthly plug that you should read everything that Lee does because she's my spirit animal. Sounds good. Uh, Jane Unlimited by Kristen Cashore. I have talked about this before. I got a advanced reader copy of it at ALA. It was so good. Ah. <laughs> Um, it's YA, um, but <laughs> sorry, I'm trying to laugh quietly. It's okay. Oh. Um, so the description, the very like the little blurb or whatever, is a, a kaleidoscope novel about grief, adventure, storytelling, and finding yourself in a world of seemingly infinite choices. And I've I've talked about how it's structured in that um, the first chapter sort of sets it up, and then at the end of the first section, or not the first chapter, first section. Um, the character Jane is left with a choice of which, you know, person she wants to go talk to. And then each section after that, um, you know, the first section takes her. She goes, she talks to the housekeeper or she goes and talks to her friend or whatever. And, and they're all sort of this like parallel world kind of thing. And it's it's really well done. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. So that's um, Jane Unlimited. Nice. Uh, my third YA one is They Both Die at the End by Adam Silvera. Uh, he, Adam Silvera is amazing. If you are following or followed all the bonkers, crazy stories that was going on in the YA uh, book world recently, you might have seen his name because he was all over it, um, dropping some knowledge on people about YA things. I'm not going to get into that, but uh, this book, They Both Die at the End, uh, is described, it, it sounds really Really, it almost sounds like magical realism, kind of. Um, on September 5th, a little after midnight, Deathcast calls Mateo Torres and Rufus Emeterio to give them some bad news. They're both going to die today. They're total strangers, but for different reasons, they're both looking to make a new friend on their end day. The good news is there's an app for that. It's called The Last Friend, and through it, Rufus and Mateo are about to meet up for one last great adventure to live a lifetime in a single day. I assume I will cry. Sounds that sounds reasonable. Mm-hmm. That sounds reasonable. Um, next up, I have liner notes on parents and children, exes and excess, death and decay, and a few of my favorite things by Loudon Wainwright the Third. So <laughs> that's a lot. It's a very long title. Um, but Loudon Wainwright the Third, of course, the sort of patriarch of a very very musically talented family including my personal favorite rufus wainwright Mm -hmm. um so he has a memoir coming out which i will be very excited to read i just imagine their like dinner table being so Uh, perfect did i ever tell you about seeing uh rufus wainwright in concert last year 
Maybe, but I don't think you did with a microphone in front of us. <laughs> you probably did not. So I love Rufus Wainwright. And um, for those that don't know, he has a very untraditional relationship with the, not in a bad way, uh, daughter of um, Leonard Cohen. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I also um, was drawing a blank. I mean, like, Rufus is married to a man, but he has a daughter with uh, uh, Leonard's daughter, like Leonard's yeah. daughter. So it's, you know... Um, Non-traditional, not untraditional, non-traditional, non-traditional family unit. Anyway, so uh, Rufus was in town in Cleveland on my birthday and last year and we went and saw him and my birthday is in November. It was just a couple weeks after um, Leonard had died and he closed the show playing Hallelujah. I would still be crying. (laughs) I'm just like sobbing in the theater, like just sobbing. Such a good version. It's the best version. It is my... I love that version. It's the best and I version. Was, I was hoping he would play it, but at the same time, knowing mm-hmm. what had happened. And I think he even said, like, he didn't play it for a long time just because it was kind of... Yeah. You know, like, meh. New songs. But, yeah, he closed the show with it. And yeah. That's that's one of those songs where people can debate what the best... Like, um, Heard It Through the Grapevine is another one. People have their own favorite version versions of that but rufus wainwright is the best hallelujah version so right there with you um i was gonna try and think of a funny transition but i've got all right go ahead so my last ya one i don't want to spend a lot of time on it because she's going to be on the podcast in a few ish weeks uh hunting prince dracula by carrie maniscalco uh carrie wrote her first book called stalking jack the ripper which we talked about a little bit i think in the past um, but Hunting Prince Dracula is the follow-up to that. Her debut novel debuted at number one on the New York Times bestsellers list. So uh, I will say the best thing I can des- say to describe this book is I was given advanced reader copies of both of them. My wife read both of them and then went and bought copies of both of those books as a shout-out and respect to Carrie and how good these books are. So I had free copies in my house, and my wife was still like, no, I need to buy them because she needs my love. So... Hunting Prince Dracula by Carrie Maniscalco. My next one is, uh, I'm pretty sure it's a YA doll, and I was actually thinking you would have it, but I just want to make sure it's a YA novel before I say that it's not, or it is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> just making sure here, as I'm typing, la la la. Sorry, guys. This is some good. It is a young adult. Okay, I figured it was because all of our other books are. But uh, War Cross by Marie Lou. I was gonna put it on there. Did you read the description? I'm actually kind of surprised. I so the only reason I didn't put it on is because I wanted to shout out some of the authors that we've met. I'm just saying. And I felt bad. I felt bad. Like I didn't want everyone to be like, "Oh, it's a like the first 25 minutes is a YA podcast." I didn't like. I know you know what I mean. Like some people don't read YA, so but we go back and forth. I know we do. (laughs) I don't have a good reasoning. Jill, talk about Warcross. Okay, so Warcross. (laughs) I'm just gonna go with the description. For the millions who log in every day, Warcross isn't just a game, it's a way of life. The obsession started 10 years ago, and its fan base now spans the globe, some eager to escape from reality, and others hoping to make a profit. Struggling to make ends meet, teenage hacker Amika works as a bounty hunter tracking down players who bet on the game illegally. But the bounty hunting world is a competitive one, and survival has not been easy. Needing to make some quick cash amika takes a risk and hacks into the opening game of the international warcross championships only to accidentally glitch herself into the action and become an overnight sensation um it's yeah there's like a it's like ready player one meets wreck it ralph like it i know i know no i it sounds incredible i already have it on hold I okay just no i mean i do too but i was like i was surprised you didn't put it on i know and not for nothing the cover is baller mm-hmm. it's awesome yeah guys speaking of baller i just glanced down and you can't see this and it's already in the past but jill is wearing kermit the frog pants and i just <laughs> noticed it and they're incredible oh can't believe I didn't notice that first thing we walked in. Uh, oh, I'm so proud of you. They, yes, I am. They're amazing. That has nothing to do with it's apropos of nothing, but I just had to share. Like, I looked down while you were talking about Warcross, and I was like, oh, my God. Good for you. You have the coolest pants. All right. My next one is 
a book that Joe got me an arc of that's at my house, A Column of Fire by Ken Follett. Uh, Pillars of the Earth is my favorite book probably ever. Uh, the second book in the Pillars of the Earth series was World Without End, which is also incredible. And Column of Fire is the next book in that trilogy. Um, I gave it to my mom to read first because she needed a book for a long, long trip. And she read it, said it's incredible. And I asked her, do you remember anything about Pillars of the Earth? And she said, only that it's about Kingsbridge Cathedral. I was like, that's all you remembered? And she's like, yep, that's it. And so I asked her, I was like, did you need to know anything about like did it do you feel like you missed out on the story she said no and the reason i say this is because ken follett um he writes expansively he does his books are all about a thousand pages long so column of fire is a very long book but if you haven't read pillars of the earth it's okay you can still dive into this um it's written in 1558 that's not true it was written recently it's set in 1558 ken follett's time traveler (laughs) exactly just like the other books we're talking about um, but it's all of, it's very like Middle Ages. It's a, a power struggle between uh, the church and the crown. And I just, man, Ken Follett is one of those people where if I met him, I would just, it'd be one of those like, how are you the way you are? You perfect, perfect writer. So I, this is actually like uh, very next on my list. And I've been just staring at it, waiting for a long gap in the other books that I've been reading so I could really dive into it. So. A Column of Fire, Ken Follett. So fun story about my parents. So my mom's favorite, my mom's favorite book is Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier. Mm -hmm. My dad, one of his favorite authors is Ken Follett, who, and one of the first books my dad recommended to me by Ken Follett is The Key to Rebecca, which is, oh my God, which is like a spy novel where they use the book Rebecca as like a key for like decoding things. Like these are my parents. They're so cute sometimes. Parents are awesome. Good for you. Anyway, um, so my next book is Queens of the Conquest, England's Medieval Queens, book one by Alison Weir. I have talked about Alison Weir and the Tudors many, many times. Uh, this is not just about the Tudors. Um, it, it's, and it's nonfiction. She writes both fiction and nonfiction. But mm-hmm. this is, <laughs> I know. I feel like every other month she has like another book. <laughs> I talked about Lee Wardigo back to back months. I think we're in the clear here. We give people like 25 recommendations. Two of them can be the same author. So, uh... <laughs> This spans the years from the Norman Conquest in 1066 to the dawn of a new era in 1154 with Henry II um, succeeded to the throne and Eleanor of Aquitaine was crowned. And so she, uh, Alison Weir is looking at um, the queens during this time period, of which there were many, and (laughs) kind of goes going deep diving. And it's book one. I don't know how many books are planned. But it's, it's, I mean, it's England's medieval queen, so up through, I imagine. Mm-hmm. I don't know. If you're a fan of Alice Weir, like Jill is, um, there is a guy on Twitter. His name is Mike Stuckberry, S-T-U-C-H-B-E-R-Y. Um, he is a historian, and I started following him recently because, as you'll know, lots of people on Twitter like to make assumptions or, you know, they'll <clears throat> they'll use memes to say things that aren't true about either other cultures or something along those lines. And Mike goes out of his way to find memes and like people who are basically putting stuff out in the world that is completely false and goes through historically why they're incorrect. So like someone will talk about how, you know, just like this isn't a political thing at all, but like someone, a a pretty far right leaning person tweeted something about England um, and how they don't like the fact that there were a lot of immigrants coming into England now and how it's ruining the old country. And so Mike went on this like tweet storm talking about how historically there's actually been immigrants in England for like thousands and thousands of years. And so if you like his histor- like history, he's just he's on Twitter and his twi- his Twitter threads are fascinating. I've learned more about history from his Twitter account than I think I did in like any of my actual classes about history so that was just a quick plug for to a person who i've never met and know nothing about other than his incredible twitter account but you talking about Al Sawyer reminded me of that no that sounds good <laughs> i'll have to look for that uh, my next one is an alchemy of masks and mirrors a novel uh it's by curtis craddock 
and it is described as such. In a world of soaring continents and bottomless skies where a burgeoning new science lifts skyships into the cloud-strewn heights and ancient blood-borne sorceries cling to a fading glory, Princess Isabel is about to be married to a man she's barely heard of, the second son of a dying king in an empire collapsing into civil war. Uh, born without the sorcery, that is her birthright, but with a massive intellect, Isabel believes her magic will stave off disastrous conflict and bring her opportunity, but people constantly are trying to murder her, and she needs to unravel all the lies that is causing all of that. So, um, it says historical fiction, but it also talks about skyscrapers in the sky, all these, like... Could be, like, alternatives. Sounded, yeah, kind of, like, sounded like historical fiction in, like, the Star Wars and the Cloud City, I think, which All I'm right. which I'm for. So the alchemy, or sorry, an alchemy of masks and mirrors. Now I'm gonna take a drink because I feel like I just spoke for like ten minutes straight. That's fine. Uh, next up, I have Force Dark by Nicole Krause. So this is her first book in seven years, which is kind of a big deal. Um, Jules Epstein, Epstein, probably Epstein. Epstein. No, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. Um, Jules, a man whose drive, avidity, and outsized personality have for 68 years been a force to be reckoned with, is undergoing a metamorphosis. In the wake of his parents' death, his divorce from his wife of more than 30 years, and his retirement from the New York legal firm where he was a partner, he's felt an irresistible need to give away his possessions, alarming his children and perplexing the, uh, the executor of his state. With the last of his wealth, he travels to Israel when uh, with a nebulous plan to do something in honor to honor his parents in tel aviv he is sidetracked by a charismatic american rabbi planning a reunion for the descendants of king david who insists that epstein is part of that story dynastic line he also meets the rabbi's beautiful daughter who convinces him to become involved in her own project a film about the life of david being shot in the desert with life-changing consequences hmm. Interesting. So Nicole Krause is the ex-wife of Jonathan Saffron Spohr, who was on our podcast a couple of weeks ago. So they both sort of, I think, write about, well, no. He said he doesn't, like, write about the Jewish experience. That's just sort of, it just Jewish. Is his experience. And that's his experience. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, Nicole Krause spent seven years since her last book. Wow. I'm sure it will be a bestseller. Yes. <laughs> uh, my next one, this is nonfiction. The Woman Who Smashed Codes. Wow, that was very, like, whistly. Oh, I almost put this on mine, but did not. The Woman Who Smashed Codes by Jason Fagone. A true story of love, spies, and the unlikely heroine who outwitted America's enemies. I knew nothing about this story before I discovered this book, and I cannot wait to read it. Uh, Joining the ranks of Hidden Figures and In the Garden of the Beasts, the incredible true story of the greatest code-breaking duo that ever lived. An American woman and her husband who invented the modern science of cryptology together and used it to confront the evils of their time, solving puzzles that unmasked Nazi spies and helped win World War II. Also, World War I. Um, Elizabeth Smith is the... She went to work for an eccentric tycoon in his estate outside Chicago. The tycoon had close ties to the U.S. government. Uh, he asked her to apply some of her language skills to code-breaking, and then she proceeded to break all of the Nazi codes that were, um, like terrorizing the united states and the rest of the world um if you have ever i'm drawing completely blank on what it's called um if you've ever heard of enigma which is the german like code that they used to, yeah, yeah um enigma and then also japan's code was called purple and she cracked both of them repeatedly so uh i am super on board for this it sounds awesome and I can't even pretend to imagine being that smart. So, No. Yeah. I can't either. The woman who smashed codes. Um, this next one I'm not going to talk about too much because she's going to be on our podcast, I believe, on Monday. Is that right? I think so. Okay. And it's about time you brought this one up because I had it on my list just in case and I was waiting to delete it. So proceed. This was the one I was like, this was my contingency plan. Uh, Genuine Fraud by E. Lockhart. She, of course, wrote um, When We Were Liars and... She's got a new one book out, and I don't think it needs too much of an introduction. And again, she'll be on our podcast on Monday, so tune in. Yeah, tune in to hear her drop a hilarious F-bomb, Oh, that's too, right. She does. I forgot about which that. Which I am not going to blank out, because <laughs> it was amazing. Um, my next one, I have another nonfiction one, The Man from the Train 
The Solving of a Century-Old Serial Killer Mystery. First off, it's caught my attention because it's written by Bill James. Uh, I am a giant baseball nerd, and Bill James kind of created advanced analytics for baseball, and now to more to a greater extent, all of sports really. All you know, for a long, long time, sports was not using advanced statistics to kind of understand who was doing well and who wasn't. Bill James changed all that. This book has nothing to do with baseball. Um, between 1898 and 1912, families across the country were being bludgeoned in their sleep with the blunt side of an axe. Uh, jewelry and valuables were left in plain sight. Bodies were piled together, faces covered with cloths. Um, basically, there are these all of these murders taking place, and the, it was never they were never solved. Um, Bill James was saw some old articles about all of these things, and he decided he wanted to just to try and investigate them and see if there was a pattern. Um, and he took all of the analytics and all the things that he learned from his baseball analysis and determined that all of these crimes were probably committed from the same person and then he dug through like thousands of local newspapers and transcripts and public records uh, and he noticed that the fact that they were all tied to railroad tracks like they were all near railroad tracks in some way and so he realized who did it and it's all one person and he Hmm. literally like solved this case this man who is very very smart but is not known for anything criminal uh like from solving crimes um and he had a lot of help from his daughter rachel mccarthy james who also gets credit on the book as a a co-author i should have mentioned that so uh, that's the man from the train that sounds really good yeah crazy interesting and again i just noticed the name and i was like is there another bill james who's an author that's crazy but nope same guy same guy all right Next up, I have The Best Kind of People by Zoe Whittle. So this actually came out in Canada, I want to say last year, maybe the year before. Uh, So I read it back then because I used to work with our Canadian accounts and wanted to keep up to date. But it is now um, coming over here. Not really over here. Down here. (laughs) It's not quite the same as British publishing. Uh, So, um, yeah, Canadian. Um, So it is about, it takes place in sort of a affluent suburb of Connecticut and the father George is a teacher at the local prep school um, who is accused of sexual misconduct with students at his daughter's school and he is arrested and and while he's waiting trial claiming innocence um, his wife and daughter are kind of struggling in this small town you know with everyone knowing all this and um, their brother her uh, the brother son um andrew returns from home um after sort of leaving family drama uh it was really good and i'm i'm glad it's going to be available here for our uh american readers yeah um i have three more but one of them i keep waiting for you to say and you haven't yet do you not have the new i i'm saving the lot i'm there are two i was saving on all right okay i'll i'm gonna wait I'm gonna wait. They're pro- one of them is probably what you are thinking of. Yeah, I have there it sitting is two. Here. I am specifically waiting. That's okay. my last two. All right. I, All right. I kind of okay did it a little backwards this time. That's okay. I didn't want. There's one that I was like waiting for you to talk about because I'm gonna read it too. But it's kind of like your jam. Um. So, my next one is this is the one I was cheating. It's called In the Dark: Tales of Terror by E. Nesbitt. So Edith Nesbitt. Uh, lived in like the early 1900s and she was well known for her her storytelling for uh, classic children's books but beyond her beloved children's stories laid a darker side to her imagination revealed here in her chilling tales of the supernatural so apparently all her life she was haunted by like lifelong phobias and so she would have horrible horrible nightmares Uh, and so she took all those and a hundred years ago, she put them all together into these short stories. And so they were first published about 30 years ago, um, but now they've been all brought together for the first time with some newly discovered stories, um, and they put them digitally, and we have them. And my goodness, guys, the cover is the creepiest thing ever. Um, as I talked about in a previous podcast, September is here, so I am all in on horror stuff right now. If you've been following along on Twitter, you'll see that I 
have been tweeting about horror books that I've been reading already, and this is just the next one that I'm super juiced for. So, again, it's 130 years old, but it's new to digital. So See, I'm that counts. Counting. I think it counts. Okay, so as I said, there were two I was holding on. First one is What Happened by Hillary Rodham Clinton. Okay. I That was not the one I... I know, I know which one you're thinking of. <laughs> okay. So this is Hillary Rodham Clinton's memoir about what happened. Mm-hmm. That kind of speaks for itself. Yeah, I think I think we could leave it at that. <laughs> um, my what I'm assuming will be my last one because I think you're going to talk about the other one, uh, the Wizard's Cookbook. Uh, I almost put this, but did not. So it's magical recipes inspired by Harry Potter, Merlin, the Wizard of Oz, and more. This is on my mind because something else I always think of in September is Harry Potter. I again, if you follow us on Twitter, you will have seen that I got a Harry Potter tattoo this week. Um, so this like jumped out, but it's basically from Merlin to Dumbledore to Mary Poppins, uh, Aurora. Oh man, Aurelia Boy Pommier, I think the author's name is. Pays tribute to all sorcerers, fairies, elves, mages, and magicians within this spellbinding cookbook. So it includes magical dishes that are both quick and easy to prepare for any occasion. It provides a beautiful spread of festive-themed dishes to entertain and enchant your guests. Each recipe is accompanied by full-page, beautiful color photography of the yummy food and drinks. In addition to the sustenance necessary to battle your nemeses, whether it be a dragon or an undue stomach, the book also includes recipes to prepare, to prepare divine desserts, devilish snacks, and intoxicating potions and elixirs to quench your thirst. I'm going to make all of these things. We should do that here. Yes. We should have a potluck. 100% using this book. Yes. Mm-hmm. On the potluck. So yeah, that's the Wizard's Cookbook. I'm really excited to dive into that. So my last one is Sleeping Beauties. Thank God. <laughs> I had it on my list just being like. Why did you think I wouldn't put I it on there? I don't know. I was getting nervous. But I, please, I've had this thing on hold for as soon as it was announced. Um, Sleeping Beauties by Stephen King and Owen King. This is, of course, Stephen King. My jam. <laughs> that is your jam. And his son, Owen King. Fun fact, both of his sons are authors. Joe Hill is the other one. Anyway, Stephen King and Owen King um, have co-collaborated on this book, which tells uh, the highest of high-stakes stories, what might happen if women disappeared from the world of men. Um, yeah. <laughs> so. I'm going to read it a lot. <laughs> I mean, I can go to a little more detailed, but uh, in the future, so real and near it might be now, something happens when women go to sleep. They become shrouded in a cocoon-like gauze. If they are wakened, if the gauze wrapping their bodies is disturbed or violated, the women become feral and spectacularly violent, and while they sleep, they go to another place. The men of our world are abandoned, left to their increasingly primal uh, devices. One woman, however, the mysterious Eve, is immune to the blessing or curse of the sleeping disease. Is Evie a... I'm sorry, Evie. Is Evie a medical anomaly to be studied, or is she a demon who must be slain? Set in a small Appalachian town whose primary employer is a woman's prison, Sleeping Beauties is a wildly provocative, gloriously absorbing father-son collaboration between Stephen King and Owen King. I'm so excited for that. I can't wait. It's going to be so good. So. I also can't wait to go see it because apparently it sounds the movie it. You need to like clarify. Apparently it's incredible. The reviews are fantastic. I know, which is good since I wouldn't say of course it is. Not well, all of his after bo- the movies. last adaptation that was released came yeah. out. It was not so fabulous. Yeah. All right, listen. I'm just gonna say it. We're at 32 minutes right now. People can okay, check out now, now. They can check out okay. now. We can talk about it. All I right. just didn't want to like front load the episode. That's fine. Listen, everyone. <laughs> That, those are Do your I need sept- more coffee? <laughs> Maybe. Those are your September books um, from Jill and I, the two of us. Those are the ones that we're most excited about. Let us know what ones you're most excited about. If you haven't watched the Game of Thrones season finale, you can tune out. Or if you don't watch Well, see, Game that was Thrones, the other thing. Like, what if people hadn't watched it? I was going to say, like, they the can fast forward. Know, anyway, but... so, this, so this is our Game of Thrones talk. So I just want... I, we have two years to sit and, and ruminate on it. It's fine. It's fine. So what did you think of the season finale? I thought it was good. Um, No, I mean... Hard-hitting analysis. No, no, it's like one of those weird things where, again, there's just like little weird things that... 
course, I'm unprepared now because you caught me off guard. I know. (laughs) Well, do you want me to go first? I thought it was fine. I didn't think it was great. I there. There's this situation that happens now with pop culture things that like everyone watches where every time a new thing of it comes out, it has to be the greatest thing ever. I'll give you a perfect example, and I haven't listened to the song, so I'm not going to judge it one way or the other, but Taylor Swift's new song came out, and everywhere that you would go, everyone's like, this is the greatest thing of all time. But then I talked to friends who listen to it, and they're like, eh, it's fine, it's whatever. That's what I think is with Game of Thrones. The last, this whole season, every time an episode would come out, everyone was like, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened. And I love Game of Thrones as much as the next person. And on Mondays, I am guilty of di- doing deep dives into stuff. But like, the I don't know. The last episode, I was like, it was fine. It set up everything for the last season, which we'll get in, like, you know, 2024, whenever it comes out. <laughs> but I, nothing, it, like, it was fine. I, there were certain things that irritated me. Like, why was Bran surprised about everything? Yes. Well, okay. I know everything in the future. Ma, no, no, no. I think I've had discussions with our co-worker, um, Shannon, about this. I, I think with regards to that, because there's so much in his head, if he doesn't know where to direct his vision, he can't pinpoint stuff. Because I had that same reaction. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And when, like, Sam comes in and Bran's like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, are you kidding me? You just told him you're the three-eyed raven. And yeah. Like, but I think... If he doesn't, like, know to look for it. So all of the stuff with Rhaegar and Lyanna, like, he didn't know they had been married because he didn't know to look for that. But he knew, he had seen the Tower of Joy and he knew that they had the baby and so that was enough for him. But his, like, brain, I don't, I don't know. That's my, I guess that makes sense. My thought process. I wish he wouldn't have been so pompous every time. He's like, well, I know everything. He's just whatever. Jerk. Um, I, I think what happens is, and this probably goes along with that, but, like, you're so excited and it's so, like, visually stunning. And especially this particular episode, they're, like, hit with all the stuff. Like, you know, John's not a bastard and they were married and the wall comes down and it just, like, ice zombie dragon thing and, like, all of this. So you're so, like, caught up in it in the moment. And how my fiance and I do, we watch it Sunday night and we always rewatch it on Monday. Mm-hmm. And by the time Monday comes around, you've already seen it. You know what's happening. So you can have sort of a more critical eye to it. Mm-hmm. And you can pick up on stuff. So then I'm like, that's eh, maybe not as good as I originally thought. Because right. I like have that removed step. Well, and it wasn't bad, but... No, it was, it was good. It, I was entertained for 80 minutes. Which, I mean, for someone, I'm bad at watching TV. So to entertain me for 80 minutes is, is impressive. But there's just... What I took away was a lot of my favorite parts were the interactions with characters being like, ha, they haven't been on screen in a while. Remember them? That's, yeah. oh, look, it's Pod. Um, but <laughs> but like, stuff like, like when the wall came down, like there are all these, oh, well, there's the horn that can maybe control a dragon or there's an ice dragon inside the wall. Nope, it's just the dragon's going to use his fire and he's going to blow. It's just like stuff was like very straightforward and you kind of knew where it was going. And I don't know, I think for me, a lot of watching the first few seasons because I didn't read the books. A lot of the first few seasons for me was like, I loved this world building and expanding it. And of course it makes sense. There's only six episodes left. So they have to, you know, contract the world now. They have to bring everything back together. But it just feels like they're down a path that I know that what's going to happen at this point, like at least for the most part, like, the White Walkers aren't going to win. You're not going to, like, that would be the, well, actually, it's George R. R. Martin, so maybe they will. But it just feels like, all right, well, they're going to band together. In my mind, Cersei's going to die. You know, whether it's John or Danny or their kid that I super think they're going to have because she was super clear about, oh, I can't have kids. Like, they brought it up oh, nine Danny, times. Oh, yeah, now she's slowly getting knocked up. <laughs> yeah, so, like, it's going to be like, all right, well, their son is going to end up ruling. I don't know. It just feels to me like, I got very annoyed with society being like, this is the greatest thing ever. And like you said, when you look at it, maybe with a closer lens, like, well, I don't know. There's holes. So this is one of those things where the TV show is past the books. Yes. But there is stuff in the books that has not come up in the TV show or has been sort of glossed over where I think in the books it may have a more, like a deeper impact or that, you know, George R. R. Martin might shift slightly. Mm-hmm. in the books from what the TV show is like the horn the horn is not i think it's maybe been very very briefly discussed in the TV show but not really the horn is on the cover of the winds of winter yeah <laughs> you know what i mean yeah and in 
the books, and I remember telling you this, like the ice dragons in the books is a completely different species right. than what we saw. What we saw is more like a zombie dragon, but mm-hmm. people are calling it an ice dragon, which is fine. But like there's an actual species that is has been like sort of dead like all dragons. But um it's sort of like a mythological type thing, which is a, a very different species than what we saw. Like, that's like a ice dragon is like separate mm-hmm. from the zombie dragon thing that we saw. Right. Um, so, yeah. I don't know. So there's definitely stuff that still could play out possibly in the books just because we don't know what differences he, like, if he's going to continue whatever trajectory he started mm-hmm. in the books from when the TV show sort of went off yeah. on its own. I guess, and this is to credit the world George R. R. Martin built. Not that, not that he needs us to compliment him. Much more important You're people. You're welcome, George. Much more important people than us have complimented George. Um, but like my, this morning when I got to work, I read an article, I think it was on io9 or somewhere, but it was like everything we know about the first time the White Walkers invaded Westeros. And because of the expansive universe George has built, there is this, they were able to create this like 2,000 word article about, well, the last time they invaded, they made it this far south. And then here are some stories from Easteros and the diff- other place, Esteros? Easteros? I think it's Esteros. Either way, like here are, here are some of the myths and legends from the other as- the other places of the world that um, we don't even see in the show and, the, and they aren't even talked about in the books, but like George spent the time and the pages to explain this entire universe like those are the things i love reading about like the history of this place that he created that's if i'm fascinated by almost like more so than i am the sh- the episodes they well, are there's themselves an entire now. book dedicated to that called the world of ice and fire i know <laughs> there is companion book although if you haven't read the books i'm <laughs> I know, and I think that's why You're I gonna, enjoy... I think, maybe miss some stuff. Well, I think that's because... why I enjoy the like little snippets of articles that I'm well, yeah, reading. Yeah, and but... the Nerdist has an entire history mm-hmm. of, you know, yeah. Game of Thrones on their website. Right. I So I just, to me, it was good. I enjoyed it. I It's one of very few things that are appointment watching television for my wife and I, mainly because... You can't go anywhere the next day if you don't watch it live. Um, but I just felt like it, in seasons past, when things like when that last episode hits and like when they showed, you know, Danny like you know on the ship last year, or like I think one of the seasons ended with like the White Walkers walking towards the wall. I was like, then it fades to black, and I was like, damn. That was crazy, and I feel like this time, like there was like two minutes left in the show, and I was like, "Well, well they're gonna show the White Walkers breaking down the wall." It was just like we know where it was coming. Maybe this is just me feeling melancholy sadness. I mean, the White Walkers are invading Westeros. They're I, like weeks away from Winterfell. I know, but I guess just because I knew that was the inevitability of what had to happen, I was like, "Yeah, of course that's happening." I don't know. Maybe the again, maybe this is me like being like, "Well, I was only." like nine hours of content left now so i i always wonder as someone who you haven't read the books correct correct okay like is there certain like do you care about the white walkers as like a threat or i i think i'm more interested in the like how they came to be and i get that the creation of the white walkers is i know it's different in the books versus in the show and so, like, the history of them interests me more. The answer to all of this is you should just look at me and be like, well, you should read the books, you idiot. No, I'm, but, uh, it's me, a commitment. I'm not going to be like, read the books yeah. because it's a commitment and it might not be your thing. I guess just because in my mind, like, the threat, it, now that they've kind of established, like, the major people in the show and, like, John has survived nine deaths. Like, <laughs> it, he's not gonna die and unless he's gonna die like at the end like i knew so like this whole season it's like it's kind of like watching this season to me with the main characters felt like watching true blood (laughs) it's like they would end the cliffhanger like oh jamie is falling in an impossibly deep river well they're gonna start next episode with him getting saved he got started it's just like those types of things where it's like you can only put them in peril so many times 
and then save them before you just aren't surprised by it anymore. So I do, I am like aware of the massiveness of the fact that like they haven't invaded in like 8,000 years and like most people think they're a myth let alone a threat and but I don't know to me I just like I said I feel very like melancholy about the the end of it I also feel like I'm now talking in circles it could just be because you have to wait eight years or eight years years. (laughs) don't put it past them (laughs) two years ish yeah I well I I know well what about John's parentage does that matter to you it mattered to me when we first found out about it and I feel like they were revealing that at the end of this last episode, but it's like, all right, well, when you did the Tower of Joy thing, it was heavily implied. And then when Sam and, oh, God. Gilly. Thank you, Gilly, who actually discovered it. When Gilly, like, discovered it, it was like, okay, well, there it is. That's that's the whole thing. It's like this last episode, and we're just like, his parents are actually, I just feel like all of us were staring. Like, we know who. So that didn't, I don't know. I think everything that was already, like, supposed to be impressive in the last episode to me was, like, kind of wrapped up. Except for the mountain not fighting Well, to be fair, if you actually pay attention to Game of Thrones, the last episode is not really the big one. <laughs> the penultimate one. <laughs> the penultimate ones. one always is. <laughs> right. So, spoiler alert for those who aren't aware of that. They put more, like, yeah, the penultimate is usually, like, the really big one. Yeah. Where they go all out on stuff. Hard home. Yeah. Um, battle although, Blackwater. Uh, last year, though, that was, like, killer season ender but anyway um so no the the it's interesting because the john parenting thing for those of us who've been reading the books for a substantial amount of time it's a big deal right (laughs) um and so i always wonder for those people who haven't read the books and just sort of like picked it up in the tv show like how much it matters because it would have been i mean i guess like a year you know from when the tower of joy scene to now or maybe ish year and a half um, that might be where my feeling of like, meh, so you is had, coming like, a from. Of it. Like, right. Like, oh, okay. I, I think that I think you're right. I think because I didn't read the books, so like you, like I think I saw you tweet or talk about like, you were waiting like ten years for that reveal. I was. Others have been. I mean, the books have been out for twenty years. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas me, I was waiting eleven months, and to be fair, for like ten of those months, I was thinking about Stranger Things, so I wasn't actually thinking about it until it came back. So that might be a part of it too, but. I don't know. This just went from, like, Game of Thrones was something that I obsessively would, like, talk to my friends about. It's like, this year, I was just like, yeah, it's good. But it didn't have that same... Maybe just because the expectations are so ungodly high. Well, and maybe it's more... I mean, I don't know. For me, it's, like, knowing what's going to happen and wanting just to see the execution of it. So even if I know Mm -hmm. that the wall is coming down, which was pretty predictable, or that you sort of had an idea that she was going to lose at least one of the dragons... Like, just seeing how that happens. Yeah. Even if I know it's coming, mm-hmm. you know, and like wanting then to be like, oh, is George, like, is George R. R. Martin going to do it the same way? Is he going to do it differently? Is he not going to have that happen? Um, I don't know. Yeah, well, that's fair. That makes sense. Um, what about Littlefinger? That was another thing where I was like, okay, two things in this episode <laughs> irritated me. One, that whole storyline, because like, I love Sansa and Arya. I always have. Just like most people. And I hate Littlefinger. This is like kind of everyone always has. But at the same time, I was like, I kind of knew he was good. Like, were they messing with him the whole time? Because they had lots of conversations this season where he, there's no way he would have heard them. Correct. So that, that part where I was like, <laughs> I literally, this is the only show that I do this. It's like staring at the clock. Like, you're wasting seven minutes of my show right now <laughs> with this. And the other part was um, with Yara. And, and I'm like, oh. I'm like, well, what does that have anything to do with the story moving forward? I don't know. Well. But those two parts. I did. I mean, that was, I think, to kind of, like, push Theon. Although, Theon, honestly, couldn't they have just killed him off? Yeah, because... just let him go. Sorry, Albie. Or Albie. <laughs> Alfie. Alfie, that's his real name. I have name. no idea what his real name is. But, um, no, I, yeah, the whole, like, that was one of those things that annoyed me with, with Sansa and Arya because you couldn't tell. Because in the beginning when it first, like when Arya first came up, they came back to Winterfell and snuck into Littlefinger's room and like found the thing. I was like, oh, she totally knows he's spying on him. It's totally cool. But yeah, then there were conversations that the two of them had where he would have not been anywhere a part of it. So then I'm like, so are they not playing him? You know? So it was like this. 
real. And then, so then I'm like, okay, so then that whole scene between Sansa and Littlefinger when he's like, kind of like going to the game thing, you know yeah. what I mean? And he's like, and why would she want to kill you? And, you know, she has that moment where she's like, oh, so then she would be Lady Winterfell. Well, she knows Arya would not want to be Lady Winterfell. Right. So is that the moment when she's like, oh, no, he's totally playing me. Like, it, that, it yeah. was not entirely clear. <laughs> if all season this is what they've been doing. <laughs> also, BT dubs, you know how they could have solved that entire storyline? Bran wheeling himself into one of their rooms and being like, hey, guys, by the way, here's what Littlefinger's actually thinking. Well, I think that's what ended up happening is that he kind of clues them in. But I don't. But that's all happened off screen. So we don't know. Win that conversation. Yeah, no, but we don't like know. like he could have taken t- five minutes from his staring at the tree. Right. To be in like. That's what I mean, though. If you have a minute, guys, maybe maybe get rid of Littlefinger. Right. But. Although it's interesting. If you, that whole scene, though, when, you know, she's like, bring my sister into the great room. And they have that conversation um, between the two of them where, you know, Arya's like, we'll just get on with it. If you, because obviously the first time you think she's going to accuse Arya of all this stuff and then you find out no it's actually Littlefinger right if you go back and watch that scene knowing what happens it's a really interesting dialogue and conversation that happens between them Mm -hmm. where Arya's like you don't really have to do this you know yeah that is funny (laughs) and Sansa's like no no I really do and Hmm. she's like well just get on with it then and like putting on the show but still talking to each other in right. a way that makes sense just not the way it seems at first glance but and like that whole time they had to have told all the other lords like hey this see, is see that's what i'm not sure about either did they did they warn them or is this like all sort of a surprise thing to see how Littlefinger would react to I... being accused of all of this in front of yeah his you know but then all the other people like all the other lords were just super on board with it right away they're like well sure hmm. <laughs> i don't know I enjoyed it. I didn't wasn't as much in love with it as I thought I was gonna be the whole thing. So, um, all right, that was like twenty minutes. So, send us messages if you enjoyed this. <laughs> I don't know if there's other shows that Joe and I would talk about ad nauseum like this. Um, but if if you're if you enjoy our non super book related rantings, let me know. I just had to it's get this kind of book related. It's kind of book related. Book adjacent, but yeah. So anyway. Anything else you can think of? No. Me either. Okay. All right. Well, those are your September book <laughs> books and also our, well, my venting of Game <laughs> of Thrones. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed this episode of the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.